We'll commence the reading there from verse 10. So reads God's Word. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days not on the Sabbath. Jesus answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took. I mixed it into about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked all through the dough. May the Lord speak to us through his reading of his word, and as Nigel brings it to us shortly, may our hearts be warmed and stirred. I was in the kitchen this week, And one of the things I've noticed as a parent is just how picky my children have become when they eat. Every night, there is an organizational military thing that happens as Jo starts to sandwich bash. She starts to produce wonderful lunchbox food. So you have the wrap, you have the sausage roll, you have the good old-fashioned sandwich with chocolate spread. You can guess who likes that. You have all sorts of paraphernalia an organization and detail that I'm glad I'm not in charge of because my children are pretty picky when it comes to food. You uh, cook a meal and they say, oh, that sauce is too rich, Um, that has onions, we put those to one side. The worst thing is one of ours likes actually removing the offending object or matter from their plate, make sure I'm gender neutral, from their plate onto your plate because they don't want it anywhere near their own sphere of eating. So my children become really picky, and then I got thinking of a conversation I had with a man a while ago, and he was saying, I like all the things about Christianity apart from. I find a lot of Jesus' teaching very acceptable and palatable, but there are some bits that I find just too hard to, too hard to swallow, so I put those to one side. And I thought, well, there's something happening here. We can come to Christianity and we can understand its uh, presuppositions, its foundational truths. We can understand some of its beliefs. We can understand some of its doctrines of the Christian faith. And it's very easy 
To be just like my children, to be just like that man. We can be like pick and mix for the screws in Wilco's in the center of Epsom. They've just got a whole new range of pick and mix. No longer is it sweets, licorice, all sorts, toffees. You go upstairs to the DIY section, you can pick and then pay for by weight for the screws that you need. As a quick tip. We can be like that. We can try on Christianity like it's a new dress, ladies. And if it accentuates the bits that we want to, and if it kind of hides the bits we don't want anyone else to see or notice, then it fits us. We just pick and choose. And the Apostle Paul knows something of this. It's not a modern phenomenon in the 21st century. It's right back in the first century. Christians and non-Christians in every age have to wrestle with Christianity, not in part, but in whole. And the Apostle Paul says something very interesting. In 1 Corinthians 4.20, he says, for the kingdom of God, that's what we're thinking about this morning, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. In other words, what he's saying in the first century, there were people, they knew the word. They knew the doctrines of the Christian faith. They could explain what Christianity stood for. Perhaps they could even defend it, but they knew nothing of God's power. They did not have the spirit in their hearts. They had not changed. It was just a word to them. It was just a theological construct, a concept. It was books on a shelf. It was CDs in their car and that they could listen to if they had them in those days. But it's just a word. It's not power. And here in this passage, we've got again, Luke 13, verse 10, a woman who is confronted with the power of God. And then I want to focus on verses 18 through to 21. These two small sentences, you could say they're two parables, perhaps even two metaphors of what the kingdom of God is like, verses 18 to 21. And just like the Apostle Paul says, the kingdom of God is not in word but in power, Jesus says exactly the same thing. You can know all about the intricacies of my teaching, you can know all about my example, you can know even what it means to become a Christian, but it's just knowledge to you, it's not changed or impacted your life. You don't know the power of God. And these two little pictures, verses 18 to 21, show the nature of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, that idea that the Bible explains as God living in your heart, the kingdom of God that we know in part now, we will know it in full when Jesus Christ returns in authority and power. And in these few sentences, Jesus says, this is what it is like to be part of the kingdom of God, to have the kingdom of God impact your life so you don't just know what it is in word, but you know its power. Verse 19, it's the power of a new life, the power of new life. Verse 19, Jesus says, backing up to verse 18, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and it became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Now, you would think that all the power, and I'm speaking to people who have been to Chelsea on Friday, you would think that all the power is in the seed, right? You would think you can tell people who are gardeners and those who not. If the brown stuff in your garden is mud, that means you're not a gardener. If you call it soil, that means you're a gardener. I'll leave you to make the observation of which one you are. But you would think that all the power, as you buy your seed packet or bulbs, all the power is in the seed. And there's no power in the soil. If you think that, you're wrong. The soil, the brown stuff in your garden that you call mud, the soil is full of good organic material. 
So that when, if you've looked after it, if you've put your leaf mold in there, if you've put your well-rotted manure in there, if you've watered it a little bit, when you put the seed in there, the seed has all it needs to grow. The seed has power, power for new life. But the soil is full of good organic stuff that the seed can soak up and along with the warmth of the sun and the rain that falls from the sky and it can grow. It's the power of new life. And it's exactly what Jesus takes that image and he says that is what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God to come into your life. It's the power of change. It's the power of transformation, not from without, but from within. We thought about this a few weeks ago. It's, it's inside out living. God comes into your life and he turns you inside out. But the power has to come in from the outside. Now, Jesus is not saying anything new here. It's right through the New Testament from beginning to end. There is power, and there's power in the seed. The seed contains the power. So you can go to 1 Peter 1, and it says in verse 23, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. If you want to become a Christian, you have to know something of the power of God by his Spirit, and it's through the gospel which comes through the proclamation of the word of God through the Bible. James 1.18, there's another part. It says, God, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, through the gospel. John 3, very famous passage in the Bible. Unless you're born of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You need to know more than the word. You need to know its power. So what it means to become a Christian is not someone that understands what it means to be forgiven by itself. It's not someone who just receives the ideals that Jesus passes down. It's not someone that follows Jesus' teaching in a religious external manner. Someone who's a Christian recognizes their need for a savior. They live a life of repentance that we looked at last week. And they bow the knee and they accept the authority of King Jesus. They recognize that they cannot lean on their own understanding. They need to lean on him. And it's God's power coming in from the outside. It's the, the imperishable seed. It's the gospel truth. It's not small. It's huge. And it's transformational. Jesus is talking about that in verse 19. What's the kingdom of God like? It's like a grain. It's like a grain of a mustard seed. that a man took and he put it in his garden and it grew and it became a huge tree. And when you become a Christian, now this is hard, so listen carefully. When you become a Christian, when God comes into your life, he takes you to a higher order of living. What do I mean? I was in my garden the other night. It was idyllic before that biblical amount of rain came. Remember that? Was it Tuesday? Absolutely threw it down. Cats and dogs and all those funny metaphors we use in the English language. But I was reflecting as I was out in the garden. There was a harp playing. You can imagine the scene. I was there, but there was grass growing. There were birds tweeting, there were squirrels around, and there's pigeons that I wish they were next door. And then I was there trying to bring some order on the chaos. There are three different stages of life. There's the plant life, there's animal life, there's human life. There are commonalities and there are differences between each of those stages or orders of life. So think about senses. So you have green stuff, trees, grass, all that stuff. They don't sense anything. They've got no feelings, even if you want to talk to them like Prince Charles does. Then there's the animal kingdom. Now, animals can sense. They have senses. They can be aware of fear, and then dogs can run. Birds can uh, scatter. 
But when you come to humanity, it's, uh, it's such a higher order of senses. Animals, they have five senses. Humans have five senses, but they're so much greater. They're so much more uh, deep. I mean, it's not as if an animal can uh, sense beauty. They can't discern justice and injustice, but humans can. Think about acting. Think about acting, those three orders of life again. You've got plant life, you've got animals, you've got humans. So plants respond automatically to light. They respond to the turning of the, the sun. They respond to the times and seasons so that if you watch David Attenborough, slow-mo of grass, you can see it moving through the day. Animals, they respond a little bit like Pavlov's dog, so they kind of dribble when you see food before them. But humans, humans have a, a whole range of self-mastery. They're greater. It's a higher order of life than the animals, and they're a higher order than the plants. Think about feelings. Plants, well, they can feel shock. They can feel shock when you dig them up and move them like a rose in my garden, and then they kind of get their feeling back after a few days. But it's not like uh, the grass shouted out at me yesterday afternoon, hey, who cut my hair? Grass doesn't say that, thankfully. Trees don't say, ow, that hurt when you chop a branch off. They don't uh, feel. Animals can feel. But when it comes to humans, it's a whole different order of empathy, of sensing, of knowing, of intimacy. When you know, when you encounter God, when he comes into your life, God moves you to a whole new order, a whole new way of living as the kingdom of God comes into your life. So Paul writes, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but I brought you alive. He's talking spiritually, but when God comes into your life, he takes you to a new order of living. You were just soil, but I put the seed of God into your life, and now there's fruit, now there's growth, now there's maturity, now there's life. It's a higher order of living. I was on the phone to my friend in America this week. His daughter, uh, she's three years old, and she's just got her first pair of glasses. She's a real cutie. She, and he says, it's absolutely hilarious. We went to the optician. She got her new glasses that are super flexible because she's going to break them and drop them. But she started to do these huge steps as she went out because everything's now in 3D. She can see things that she's never seen before. There's detail there that she's lost. There's depth of field. So she's doing these huge John Cleese-esque steps. When you become a Christian, when the gospel seed comes into your life, when God starts to grow it by his spirit, you see things you've never seen before. You sense things that you've never sensed before. You are aware for the first time, not as a doctrine, not as just data, but you know it and it's, there's a thereness to it that has never been there before. It's a higher order of life, of spiritual reality. So you sense the holiness of God. You don't just know it, it's there. It impacts your life. The cross of Jesus Christ that happened 2,000 years ago is not just a historical point on the map. It impacts your living. It means something to you. It affects your behavior. It shapes your attitudes. Heaven and hell is not something you think maybe or maybe not. I'm not sure it's going to happen to me when I die. When the kingdom of God comes into your life, when your eyes are open, when your spiritual senses are awakened for the first time, heaven and hell is real. And it impacts your life. And you want to tell other people about it as well. You no longer fear death. But you might fear it for other people. When the seed comes into your life, it starts to grow and to produce fruit. It's the power of new life. You see things for the first time, divine realities, the holiness of God, the love of God. 
But then, you also have power. This seed, this imperishable seed, the gospel that comes into your life, no longer are you just controlled by certain behaviours. God's power at work in your life means that you are no longer mastered by things that used to enslave you, things that used to control you. You have a new Lord, a new master, new sensibilities, a new power at work in your life so that you can break the chains of things that controlled you. It might be the power of career that drove you. Now it's no longer important. It's no longer the number one driver for you. It might be an addiction. It might be the controlling power of people. No longer are you just reactive like a plant, reactive like a pet when they see food and just saliva drips off. You can act. It's self-mastery on a whole new level because God has come into your life. And then 30, there's feeling. Remember those three things of acting and sensing and feeling? Animals feel, plants feel. But when God comes into your life with the power of the gospel, when God draws near to you, when he draws you to himself, what happens is a whole new range of emotions and desires that you just taste in part before God comes into your life. You realize when God captivates your heart for the first time, that you were built for him and for him alone. Everything else was a foretaste. Love of a spouse, love of a friend, love of a parent. That's just a, a whisper, it's just a foretaste, it's just a shadow of the one and only love that truly satisfies, the love of God, and you were made for it. And you'll be restless until you find your rest in him. Friends, have you experienced some of that? God coming into your life like a seed coming into the soil and growing and producing fruit, 30, 60, even a hundredfold. It's the power of the gospel. It's all there in verse 19. The power of the gospel is the power of life. New sight, new actions, new feelings, new emotions. It's not just a sentence on a page. It's impacting your life. It's shaping your character and behavior. But one of the challenges, at least for me, and you get it from the second image, this growth, this power, this new life, it's really slow, it's gradual, it's secret, it's hidden. It's the power of life secondarily, it's the power of growth, the power of growth. Look at these metaphors again, 19 and 21, the pictures of growth, both of them, the seeds grow, the yeast in the dough grows from the inside, not from the outside. But their power is deceptive, isn't it? This, this tiny piece of yeast, if you're into your home baking, it's absolutely minuscule before I put it in my Panasonic 2500 and it works somehow with the water and the oil and it kind of gets bound together with the bread flour and then boom, it's huge. But it's deceptive. And Jesus chooses the smallest seed that there is to make this huge point. When you look at a mustard seed, it's just tiny. It's just like the top of a pin. And yet Jesus says it's going to grow into a tree and this tree is so large, verse 19, that uh, the birds of the air will be able to be secure and make their nests in it. It's going to be huge. And you say, Jesus, really? Why did you not say an acorn? At least we could get some idea of how big it would be. But you chose a mustard seed to say something that small is going to become that large. And that's only possible because of God's power. Put it this way. If you were going to have a one-on-one -on -one fight between a mustard seed and a slab of concrete, if you're going to drop that mustard seed on that concrete, the concrete always wins. But 
If you planted that mustard seed first, and then you put the slab of concrete on top, its power is within the seed. It takes nourishment from the soil, and over time, this deceptive, gradual power could easily break that concrete slab. It's the power of the seed. It's, it's, the concrete is inorganic. It has no latent power. It's the even lower form of being, because it's not being. But the seed is organic, and the seed has latent power, and so it can grow. It brings out life from the soil. It's a, it's a higher order of being. It's gradual, it's deceptive, but it's real. And Jesus is saying, when the kingdom of God comes into your life, when you grow into the kingdom, you know what happens? I'm at work in your life, and it's slow and it's gradual, but the power is real, and the change will be seen. It will always be seen. Then you've got the yeast, verse 21. It's exactly the same thing. It's this real metaphor of the power of God. It's transformative. It doesn't replace the dough. It works with the dough. And it works quite quickly as the kneading begins, whether it's by hand or by a machine. And, and God is saying when the Spirit of God takes the Word of God into your heart, that seed is implanted. And it's as sure to grow as a mustard seed will grow into a tree. When God comes into your life, though, you don't become kind of robotic. Your personality is still there. You're still you. Your creative abilities are still there. The things you're weak at, well, perhaps you still struggle with those. But God takes those God-given gifts and he uses them for his glory. It's the power of God at work in your life. It's the attributes of God coming in and working out through you. So God's wisdom is now shaping how you think. God's power is changing how you behave. His, his strength and his holiness are at work through your personality to bless other people and to bring glory to himself. So friend, how do you tell if you have this life? How do you tell? How do you know if you're growing or if you're not? Let's go back to those three areas. It changes how you think. How do you know if you have this life? Well, let me ask you this question. Are you growing in how you think? Are you growing in your thought processes? Here's one way to tell if you have this new life at work in you, if this seed is growing. The ideas of God, they become more than ideas about him. His holiness isn't just a concept, it's not abstract. It's something that starts to impact your character. His, his love is not just a concept. God loves me, you know it. You feel it. You sense it. It becomes precious to you. Jesus dying on the cross, again, is not just a historical point in the past. All these truths, it's not a word, it's power. All these truths, become to, they become thrilling to you. They become emotive to you. They become something that grips and shapes your heart. There's something you're passionate about. These truths about God and his character and the person of Jesus and the empowering presence of the Spirit, they thrill your heart and they become real and solid. They're like a ballast in, the, they're like a ballast in your spirit. So you're not so flighty anymore. God's at work in your life. Friends, this is the way you know that you're a Christian. If God's life is advancing within you, if God's fruit is being seen outside of you, it's a thereness 
of spiritual truth and realities. God is not distant from you. He's there. He's there when you wake up. He's there as you journey through life. The the holiness of God is not far away. It's something that you are concerned about. Holiness is something you long to see more of in your own life. Sin is something you want to run for, not run towards. How is that possible? Because the seed is implanted in your heart and fruit comes. Secondarily, how can you tell you're a Christian? Here's another thing. Well, it's seen in your choices, not just your thinking. Cognitive stuff, it's seen in your choices that you make. You're not, you're not a creature of instinct anymore. You're not reactive, you choose. It's self-mastery. You understand how you function. And God is in control of your will as he makes you more like his son. So if worry used to control you because you doubted God's wisdom, that's why worry happens. It no, you no longer are a person of worry because you're growing in trust with King Jesus on the throne of your heart. Did you used to struggle with bitterness? People hurt me in the past. I can't forgive them. Friend, if that's you, it's because you cannot see. There's not a thereness, there's not a closeness to the cross in your heart. If we've been forgiven everything at the cross, then surely we have the power to forgive other people. If we retain bitterness, that can cripple people. I've seen it in people's lives. It's because there is not a thereness, there's not a closeness to the empowering presence of God and the forgiveness through the cross, through the empowering presence of the Spirit. We'll no longer be people of worry, we won't be people who are bitter because there's a thereness, there's a closeness to God in our lives. And thirdly, there's also a feeling, a feeling that's growing. This is how we can tell if we're Christians or not. As your thinking grows, as your behavior changes, there's also feeling for God that grows, a, a new affection for Jesus that grows because you love him, you, you know that you're accepted in him, you, you delight in him because you know that he delights in you. And to the degree you know that, you have new feelings for him, you love him and you want to make and share that love with other people. As that kind of sinks in, as yeast working its way through the dough, it, it changes your whole demeanor. It changes your relationship with God because it's a relationship of grace, not works. It changes your relationship with other people because no longer are you subject to their approval, because you know that God in heaven delights in you. This is how you can tell that you're a Christian. It changes your head and your heart and your affections. This is how powerful the Word of God is. This is how powerful the seed is. So this morning, not knowing some of you, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how long your record or rap sheet is, as they say in America, God's gospel is so powerful the cross is so sufficient that you can leave this room a new person because the gospel seed will be planted in your heart and you can respond to it and God could draw you to himself even this morning it's the power of God, it's gradual but sure too it can be sudden and it can be radical and it's always transformative so friends and can I say experienced Christians are those things happening in your life new affections, thought processes that are changing gradually, more maturity, more likeness to King Jesus. Are those things happening in your life? If they're not, if you look back over the last year, the last three years, let me ask you some straight questions. Why is that growth not happening in your life? Is there a roadblock? 
in your thought processes? Is there a, a distance in your affection to Jesus? If you're not seeing any changes in your life at all, if this concept of a seed growing in your life as the kingdom of God grips your heart, if this concept of a yeast in leaven of changing from the inside out, if that's strange to you, are you spending time with God? Are you spending time with God reading the Bible? Are you using the gospel to pray? Acknowledging your own weakness and confessing your sins and, and seeing more and more of Jesus as you open the Bible and ask the Spirit to help you? Are you committed to a local church, whether it's here or elsewhere? Are you committed to other people and speaking the gospel into their lives and hoping they'll speak it to yours as well? Growth, because of the seed, because of the yeast, growth always needs to happen because of the power within. The power for new life and the power for growth. So if it's not happening in your life, you need to ask why. Why is it not happening? Why is the kingdom of God in your life so much in word, but maybe not in power? And friends, if you're not Christians, do you know what this means to have this seed planted in your heart? What would it be like? How is that even possible? The only way it's possible is because of the greatest demonstration of power that there's ever been in the whole of human history. The cross, believe it or not, is the greatest demonstration of power in the whole of human history. Because the definition of power, the magnitude of this power, is seen by the fact that Jesus Christ, who spoke stars into space, who sustains life, who gives us our next breath, who is the author of creation, Jesus Christ, with all that power, he chose not to use it, but to hang on a cross with his arms outstretched, with nails through his hands and his feet, and he chose not to demonstrate his power, he chose to show his power by serving those who had no power. That's why it's the greatest demonstration of power that there's ever been. It's not a huge display of military strength, it's not a display of pomp, it's a display of great power through weakness and power through service, and might through being meek. That's the power of God. And because the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated his power through serving, showed his power through being weak, our weakness can be replaced by his strength. That's the gospel. That's the power of God. That's what the kingdom of God means. The voice that created the whole world said nothing when he could have said a word and legions of angels could have come and rescued him. And because his strength was shown in weakness and weakness shown in service, our weakness can become his strength. Our weakness can be replaced by his strength. Our record, as damaged as it is, can be replaced by his perfect record. The only thing you need to do if you're not a Christian here this morning, is to acknowledge that you're weak. Acknowledge that you're in need. Acknowledge that you're broken and you need fixing. Acknowledge that you're a sinner, a rebel, and you need a savior. And Jesus is willing in the gospel to reach out and to grab hold of you even this morning. But if you think, oh, I'm not that desperate, I'm not that needy, 
I don't need any help. First of all, talk to the person that's next to you because they will be if they're a Christian and they can acknowledge that beneath the facade that we all wear, the mask that's so easy to put on every morning, we are in great need of a great saviour. And Jesus is that saviour, he's that rescuer. And friends, when you see that power, when you accept that gospel, that's the kingdom of God, that's the imperishable seed planted right into your heart. Our weakness goes to him, his power comes to us, and that can happen right now. Let's pray. Father, when we think about these two lovely pictures of a mustard seed and of a little bit of yeast, they look so poor, so powerless. We could even say they look so pathetic. They look ridiculous. And each one of us who's a Christian already can think of the time back in history, whether it be a short time or a long time ago, when we thought the gospel was powerless. We thought it was pathetic. We thought it wasn't true. Or we thought even it was too good to be true. Father, we all want to say that the power of the gospel is seen in a gradual life change. We all want to see and say that the kingdom of God is something that is a strange mystery to us, but we are part of the kingdom of God if we're yours, as we accept the gospel and as you change and go on changing us day by day. Please help us to know more of the power of your life. Please help us to see more evidence of the power of growth in our lives as the gospel truly takes root and grows in our hearts. Thank you so much that in King Jesus dying on the cross, we see someone who is so strong who became weak so that our weakness might be replaced by his strength. Help us to believe it as we go into a new week, I pray. Amen.